Today we're going to continue in the series that we started at the beginning of the month called Experience Christmas. And as I say every Sunday, it's a, it's a, a series from the prophecies in the book of Isaiah that shows us how God offers us a rich, full, and rewarding life in him. Not, not only does he show us uh, what kind of life we can have, but he shows us how we can experience it in this Christmas season. Since the prophecies of Christ that we're examining are, are mostly future, I've been talking about this principle. I've just mentioned it, but I decided to put it on the screen this morning. When great truths about the future are given in Scripture, and there are many great truths about the, about the future given in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but when they're given in the Scriptures, readers are often reminded of how they should live in the present, and we are the readers today. And so we are reminded in these prophecies how we can live in the present, anticipating the promises that God has made in the future. One of the references that I've made each week in the New Testament is 2 Peter chapter three, where Peter talks about uh, the, 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 uh, the going away, the explosion of the universe as we know it now. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, Peter wrote this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That is, when you're not expecting it to happen. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, with that prophecy of what's going to happen in the future, how does that affect us? Well, verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be. You ought to live holy and godly lives. And then you read the, 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 the verses after that, and it tells you something about those holy and godly lives. And then in, in week number one, after talking about a time when there will be no more war or need to prepare for war, Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter two and verse five, come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. We're not going to wait for that time to come. We're going to walk in the light of the Lord right now. And so we talked that first Sunday about how to experience peace of Christmas. And then last week, we talked about how to experience the presence of Christmas, the fact that the Father in heaven promised never to leave us alone, and he kept that promise in the coming of Jesus. Another common Christmas theme is joy. And so today we're gonna talk about how to experience the joy of Christmas. But before we look at the Old Testament prophecy, going to do what we've done each Sunday. We're going to read a New Testament passage that's familiar to everybody. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 begins like this. On the night Jesus was born uh, in a stable, laid in a manger in Bethlehem, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse 9 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You would be too if you were out in the middle of nowhere and an angel appeared to you. But verse 10 says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. That great joy, uh, the, the Greek word is mega. Good news that's going to bring mega joy. You know, we like that word today, don't we? Mega joy. Uh, for all people. And what is it that's going to bring this mega joy? Well, verse 11 says, today in the town of David, that would be Jerusalem, a savior, I mean, Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, 
the Lord. So today we're going to talk about that mega joy of Christmas. You know, we like to be, we like to sing the songs and they're joyful songs and we like to celebrate with family and it is a time for celebration. When we read a passage of scripture, as we're going to read today in a few minutes from uh, the uh, book of Isaiah, there are at least two questions that we should ask ourselves. Actually, there's more than two, but these two we're going to mention today. The first one is this, is there something that God wants me to know in this passage of scripture? Is there some information that God wants to pass along to me in this passage of scripture? And then the second thing, is there something that God wants me to do based on the information that he gives me in the passage of scripture? And if you ask yourself those two questions about each passage of scripture that you read, you get a lot more uh, out of it. Now, Isaiah chapter 35, where we're gonna read today, contains both the to, to know and the to do. God wants us to know that he's in control of the past and that he's in, the control, in control of the future and that his plans will come to pass. And even though there, ha, there have always been hardships, there's coming a day when we will experience, and we're gonna see this phrase in, in Isaiah 35, everlasting joy. Now, let me just talk about joy for a minute because we have different ideas about what that is. Some of you may have heard of a lady by the name of Kay Warren. Her husband's pretty famous, Rick Warren, Saddleback uh, Church in Southern California. But uh, Kay wrote a book called Choose Joy Because Happiness Isn't Enough. And in that book, she gave a pretty standard definition of what joy is as opposed to happiness. She said this, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control. You know, if you believe God's in control, no matter what's going on, you can have joy on the inside. Joy is the settled assurance, settled assurance that God is in control of the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be okay. Then you know, it, it, uh, when you were a kid, did your mom or your dad ever put their arm around you when you thought the world was coming to an end and say, don't worry, honey, everything's going to be okay. And all of a sudden, you just felt good. Now, it didn't make, matter what was happening, you just felt good. Well, that's what God does to us today. He just wraps his arm around us and he says, don't worry, everything's gonna be okay. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. So settle assurance that God's in control of the details of my life, quiet confidence that ultimately everything's gonna be all right and determined choice. I choose to praise God in every situation regardless of what's going on. So pretty, uh, pretty good stuff from Kay. Warren, that's something about joy. It's different from happiness, which is just based on our circumstances that make us feel good or not. Now, a little bit more theological look from a guy by the name of John Piper. John Piper writes this, definitions, that is the meanings of words are simply descriptions of the way people use words. Words don't have any intrinsic definition. They're not born with definitions. Words mean what, uh, what we use them to mean. Christian joy, different from joy in general. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. Not just a good feeling, but a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit and as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world and in the word uh, of God. The good feeling that he's talking about is in the soul. By that, he says, I'm drawing attention to the fact that it's not in the body. The soul, the immaterial part of my personhood experiences joy. The body may feel the effects of that, but, but 
Christian joy or godly joy is something that is, is experienced on the inside in spite of the fact that you may not be happy on the outside, that there may be some terrible things uh, going on around you. Uh, joy in general is a feeling, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, but we don't, we're not happy all the time. I mean, there's some stuff you don't laugh about. There's some stuff you don't smile about. There's some stuff you don't enjoy. There's some stuff you don't look forward to. There's some, some stuff you don't ever want to do again. But the joy that we're talking about in Scripture can be on the inside, as what, uh, in spite of all that. So, just now we're going to get to the prophecy and, and the joy. As we think about the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 34, it's in, uh, chapter 35, it's important to note that Isaiah chapter 34 describes God's judgment against all the nations of the world. It's kind of interesting in Isaiah. You got judgment, 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 but God is going to make everything right. Judgment, 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 judgment for your sin, but God's going to make everything right one day. So in Isaiah 34, verse 4, for just an example, uh, Isaiah says, all the stars in the sky will be dissolved. Kind of sounds like that uh, prophecy we read from Peter a while ago, doesn't it? All the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. All the starry hosts will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. And then we come to Isaiah 35, which is what we're going to spend our time on today. Uh, the description of the land uh, of Israel and the people in Isaiah 35 is a highlight of the whole first half of Isaiah's prophecy. And it's a long one. You know, it's called a major prophet because there's a lot of words there. Uh, it's the desired, what we call millennial state, you know, thousand year rule of Christ on the earth from which, uh, for which the, the nation of Israel has longed since it was promised to Abraham. It's the state that humanity constantly longs for, you know, a, a utopia, where there's peace and prosperity for everyone. It's what everybody wants, and it's going to come one day, but only after God judges the nations and sets up his rule on this earth, after what we read about in chapter 34. Isaiah taught that the Lord is going to regather believing Israel together, and he's going to establish this kingdom on earth. The New Testament tells us a few more things about this end-time event. It adds the details that Jesus is actually going to be pre physically present on earth, ruling from the city of Jerusalem, and that the 12 apostles resurrected are going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel, and that church saints are going to rule with Jesus over the rest of the world. It's a fantastic kind of, a, of an explanation. With those things in mind, now let's look at what God wants us to know, the promises uh, of Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 verse 1 says this, the desert and the parched lands will be glad. Now, we're just going to stop there. If you've ever been to that part of the world or seen pictures of that part of the world, there's a lot of rocks and dirt over there. Uh, you look at it, you think this is land and it is not worth anything uh, at all. And then you, you, can, you can be riding along and you get someplace where they put a little water on that land and they grow anything uh, in it. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The land is going to be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus, uh, which is, a, is a, a beautiful flower that blooms over there. Like the crocus, verse 2, it will burst into bloom. It, the land itself is going to rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to us, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, which are uh, you know, mountains there. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor, of our God. So that's one of the things that's prophesied. Verse 
5 uh, says this, then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'm getting a little bit of both of those areas. Verse 6, then will the lame leak like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Verse seven, the burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and those are plants that need a lot of water. And finally, verses eight through 10, read like this, talk about spiritual blessings, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Verse nine, no lion will be there. You don't have to worry about walking down this highway nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Verse 10, and those the Lord has rescued will return. He's gonna call his people back. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. I told, we, told you we'd get to that everlasting, unending joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Isaiah chapter 35 reveals God's future plans for Israel's future, but also for your future as well if you belong to God. Even though you may go through trials and tribulations here on this earth along the way, God's plan for his people is that gladness and joy will overtake us and sorrow uh, and sighing are gonna flee away from us. If it's not that way in your life today, it ultimately will be. You are destined for everlasting joy. Now, we, that we see what God wants us to know, we're gonna talk about what God wants us to do as we get ready for that. In the middle, I skipped two verses. In the middle of all those wonderful promises of Isaiah 35, Isaiah speaks to the people about what they could do in their day, and he gives to us three commandments as well. It's like he's saying this to us. I promise to give you everlasting joy. And here are three, three things I want you to do while you wait for that time to come. So three things God wants me to do, and here's the first one. He wants me to strengthen those who are weak. God wants me to care about those who are weak in this world. Isaiah 35 and verse three, I, I skipped verses three and four as we were reading through. Verse three begins like this. He wants us to strengthen the feeble or the weak hands. How many times have you heard somebody say, now maybe this is old, only old timers uh, that have heard this, but I, but I certainly heard it a lot. As it says in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. Did you ever hear that? God helps those who help themselves. But really, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Uh, the Bible does teach us that we need to work, or if you don't work, you don't eat, and that we should serve God daily. The Bible does teach us that we can't just sit around and wait for God to do everything. The Bible does say in Galatians 6 and verse 5, for each one should carry their own load. We got a job to do. You don't sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. You do what you're supposed to do yourself. But when it comes to weakness, the Bible teaches that God helps those who can't help themselves. The Bible does say that. God's heart goes out to the poor, the oppressed, the rejected, the weak, and his people are to do the same. A couple of verses above that verse in Galatians 6, 2, the scripture says, carry each other's burdens. We all get to the point sometimes in life where we got too much. Just cannot do it by ourselves. 
We need a little help. Every one of us gets there. Carry each other's burden when you get overloaded. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Need to, we all need to look around and say, are there any weak people close to me that need to be strengthening? People that are saying things like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I don't know how much longer I can take this. I'm at the end of my rope. You know, I, uh, I, I just can't, I can't do it very much longer. Every day you meet people looking for strength to go on. Stressed out businessman, a lonely widow, a struggling parent, a discouraged Christian. There are people all around us with weak hands and God is saying, strengthen the feeble, strengthen the weak hands. God intends for us to give strength to one another and to be strengthened by one another. Way back in 2001, not long after 9-11, 2001 in December, uh, an issue of Newsweek presented a, a, uh, an interview with the President of the United States, George W. Bush at that time, and his wife, Laura. And the President was asked, what's the source of your strength during these difficult times? And he said he found strength in prayer and knowing that others were praying for him and that he had never been so confident uh, of anything. He also said that his wife, Laura, was the source of his strength. Quote from him, she has always been a calming influence in my life and is a comfort to me as I deal with the big questions. Interestingly enough, when Laura was asked where she gets her strength, she said she got it from George. She said, he acts like I steady him, but the fact is he steadies me. What you get out of that, by the way, is they were helping each other along the way. And that's a principle that's involved. That's the way it should work. We are to give strength to one another. You need my strength, I need your strength. We work together uh, on that. Take a look at those who are closer to you right now, your husband or your wife, your son or your daughter, your best friends. Uh, who needs to be strengthened? Uh, don't be so wrapped up in your own problems that you, you can't look and see that, hey, somebody else needs a little help here. You don't have to be a spiritual giant to give help to others. You just have to care. If you care, you can help. Uh, uh, and you'll act like a spiritual giant. Now, I'm not talking about allowing others to, to be perpetually dependent upon you, where you solve all their problems, you pay all their bills, you do everything for them. That's not giving them strength. That's keeping them weak. Uh, that's not what God is suggesting to us here when he talks about the weak or the feeble hands. He's saying, however, that we should help those who cannot help themselves, who need a hand, who need some strength. Maybe it just takes a word of encouragement like, you know, George and W and Laura were talking uh, to each other. Uh, maybe it need, takes a few hours of time. Maybe it takes a few dollars. Maybe it takes uh, a sacrifice. You might have to sacrifice your own feelings in a situation, but give strength to those who are weak. And when we do that, when you strengthen the weak, you'll experience an unexpected windfall, and that is joy. When you give a helping hand to somebody that needs a hand, it will bring joy into your life. There is joy in helping others. The wise man Solomon said this in Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So you want to experience joy? Then look for opportunities to strengthen other people. Don't think about yourself all the time or you'll never find joy. Here's the second thing. God wants us to support those who fall. Sometimes people are not just weak, they fall on their face. 
Isaiah 35, three says, strengthen the feeble hands and, and ends with steady the knees that give way. Maybe you've heard of another uh, saying, by the way, that the Christian army is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. Sometimes that does happen amongst Christians. And uh, I certainly don't want that to be true for me or for you or for our church. When people fall, when their knees give way, I want them to know that, that this is a place they can come and be picked up again. This is a place they can come and, and, and people will care for them. This is a people, place where they can come and people will not be pointing their finger at them. In a book called Churches That Heal, guy by the name of Doug Murren tells a story about when he was a pastor and a woman named Kathy uh, uh, came to his church and had just become a Christian. And, and he asked her, how long have you been attending our church? Good sized church. He, wasn't, he didn't see everybody every day. And she said, two years. And he thought, two years? He said, have you become, been coming every week or just once in a while? She said, oh, I've been coming every week for two years. And, and he said, well, why did it take you two years to come to Christ if you've been coming every week? And here was her answer. She says, I was really hurting when I started coming to church here. I'd had three abortions by the time I was 21. I just quit drinking. I knew I needed God, but I didn't know how to find him. My parents had, uh, had lost their faith and got a divorce I went to live with my grandparents and they told me not to go to their church because it'd only make me feel worse. That's a terrible thing to say about your church. Instead, they suggested that I come to this church because they knew I would be loved here. It took me two years to see that you were for real. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good testimony there, right? Two years she watched and she found out, well, these people mean what they say. They really do care about me. And after two years, she trusted in Christ. And I believe there's a lot of Cathy's out there uh, whose lives are filled with hurt, who have fallen in one way or another. We've all fallen in one way or another, but they desperately need to be picked back up again. They need to know it can happen here. They don't have to go someplace else. They need to know that when they turn to you as an individual, they'll be embraced with open arms, not struck with an open hand. Uh, just know that they're gonna be loved on. God says that we should steady the knees that give way because it happens to all of us at one time or another. We all fall down, we all fail. When it happens to someone around you, you can be the one who picks them up and there's not a greater feeling in the world than picking up somebody who's fallen. Solomon said this, the wise man, Proverbs 17, 17, he says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. The person that's close, closest to you is there specifically for when you're really in trouble and you need somebody. Job said this in Job 6, 14, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Uh, you get, what you get from that is that if, if somebody needs your kindness and you don't give it to them, it's like turning your back on God. Now, that verse can be translated a little bit differently. The New King James Version translates it like this, to him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty, even when we fall and are foolish enough to run away from God. Our Christian friends, our closest friends should hang in there with us until we get back or until they can help bring us back. Criticizing people who fall, celebrating their failure, that's not what pleases God. There's nothing Christ-like about it. Instead, we're supposed to support those who fall 
and in doing so, we do the work of God, and there's an additional windfall. When you support those who have fallen, you'll experience joy. That's where joy comes from. Doesn't come from uh, getting a new car. Nice. You can shout for that, but that's not where joy comes from. Joy help comes from helping those that have fallen. One more thing. Strengthen the weak. Support those who have fallen. And the last thing is this. Speak encouragement to those who are in trouble. People just need an, a, an encouragement. Not a lie, but they don't need to be knocked down again. Uh, I, I got this little bump on my face. Yeah, I knew somebody like that. They died of cancer in six months. Yeah. Now, that, you know, that's the last thing people need to hear, right? People need to hear encouragement. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4. The other verse that we skipped here in Isaiah 35 says this. Say, this is when we're talking about talking, right? Say to the, those with fearful hearts, those that are afraid in their situation, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. God's not forsaken you. He will come with vengeance. He will, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Not, he's not coming to hurt you. He's coming to save you with his vengeance and his divine uh, retribution. There is no situation so helpless that God can't help. No situation. No marriage problems, no money problem, no legal problem, no addiction problem, no health problem, no sin problems. God is with you and he can help you in, in every situation. You just have to let him do that. Now, two things about, <clears throat> about giving encouragement to others. Number one thing is not very many people do that. Most of us are in the other direction. Second thing is if you do it, you can change lives just, just with a word of encouragement. You can change a life. You ever have you ever been down and out and just one or two words from the right person lifted you up? Might have changed the whole course of your life. Now, on the other hand, doomsday prophets are a dime a dozen. Uh, it's, it isn't difficult to find somebody that'll tell you how bad things are. You know, the things are terrible. If your marriage is suffering, yeah, you might as well dump her, dump him, get you another one. You know, a lot of people say that. If you've experienced failure, you might as well give up. Uh, just look like an idiot if you keep going. People don't need to hear words of discouragement. Now, they need to hear truth, but they need to hear the words of Isaiah. Be strong. Do not be afraid. Your God will come and save you, and he will do that. You can be that, that voice of encouragement. When people are troubled, just speak God's word to them. I, again, I'm not talking about burying your head in the sand and acting like there's nothing wrong because there are things that are wrong, but I'm talking about genuine, honest words of encouragement based on faith in God and the power of God and, and the proven results of what God has already done. The type of encouragement that says this, I know what you're going through is tough. Not I know what you're going through because usually we don't know, really. Maybe if we've experienced, some of us will have experienced the same thing, but, but at least we can say, I know that what you're going through is tough, but don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give in to fear. Trust in God, and he will come through for you. You probably have heard of uh, the great Russian author by the name of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, <clears throat> he spent years in a Siberian prince 
prison. You can kind of tell that would, be, that would be him, younger guy on the left side, right? It was in prison in Siberia. And he tells about how that at one point, uh, working out in the frozen fields, he became completely discouraged. And he decided that was it. And so his plan was this. He leaned over on his shovel and he said he intended just to lean on that shovel until the worker, the, the bosses came and beat him to death because that's what they would do, and then he would be out of it. And, and he wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. And he said he leaned over on that shovel, and the guy working next to him reached over and drew a cross in the ground in front of him and quickly erased it you know, before, the work, the, before the bosses came. Solzhenitsyn later, later said that his entire being was energized by that little reminder of the hope and courage we have in Christ. He found the strength to continue because a fellow believer cared enough to remind him of our hope. What a great story. By offering a simple word of encouragement, you can change somebody's life. And there's an additional benefit. You'll find that by encouraging others, you are encouraged yourself. And you'll experience God's joy in your life. There are a lot of things in this life that we can't control. Matter of fact, hardly anything we really are in control of. We think we're in control every once in a while. You know, world events take place, nothing we can do about it. The economy's up, the economy's down, seems like nothing we can do about it. The future isn't ours to control, but God is in control. He is the only one that knows what's gonna happen. He's the only one that's in control. And he wants us to know that he's in control and that what he says is going to happen. In the meantime, God wants us to be about his business doing his work. He wants us to be strengthening those who are weak, even if we feel like we're weak. He wants us to be supporting those who fall, even if we feel like we're about to fall ourselves. He wants us to be speaking encouragement to those who are in trouble. That's our work. That's his work. That's our ministry, our reward as he has promised for doing those things is his gift of everlasting joy. You want everlasting joy? I, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of stories of joy and encouragement and so forth on, but if you really want everlasting joy to start now, you give your life to Christ, you trust Christ as your savior, and then you make your life about lifting up others who have special needs. Uh, you may need a little help yourself along the way. You're gonna to have to spend a few hours a day working or you may starve to death. I'm not talking about just everybody go out and help others, but you need to make your life about looking around, whether you're at work or whether you're at home or whether you're in your neighborhood or if you're in a parking lot somewhere, you know, if somebody literally stumbles or whatever, wherever, whatever the need is, we need to help them and joy will come into our lives because of that. And I encourage you to try to put these things to work this week. Now, closing is a little bit different today because most of our musicians had to leave <coughs> uh, right away. But I'm going to ask uh, Andrea if she would to come on up and to the keyboard and ask our ushers to come forward. I'm going to pray. We're going to receive uh, the offering. Uh, and, <clears throat> and then I will dismiss you after that's over with. All right, let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus and for eternal life. Thank you for your care and your encouragement 
Thank you for the joy that can only come from you. Happiness is only going to last a short period of time, come in spurts and bits and pieces. But your joy can be with us all the time. Grant us the grace to help the feeble hands and to lift up those that fall and to give a word of encouragement to those who are discouraged around us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.